Hey everybody, welcome back. All right, Ra radio voice. Uh, that was. <clears throat> I should have warmed up. I should have done a vocal warm up. Perhaps red leather, yellow leather. Unique New York. Unique New York. You know New York. You need New York. You know you need unique New York. And that's appropriate because uh, today we're watching Men in Black Two, which is filmed. Uh, pretty much almost all in, well, filmed wherever the hell they filmed it, at least one or two exteriors in New York, but set in almost entirely New York. They do take a brief uh, detour to Massachusetts, Trudeau, Massachusetts, if I, 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 I'm, I don't, that's a super minor detail. I'm not going to beat myself up about that one, but uh, yeah, Men in Black 2, Men in Black 2, the 2002 sequel to 1997's Men in Black, roughly. Maybe. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, I like this movie. I I like two thirds of this movie. I guess is the best way to to put it. Uh, but I'm gonna watch it again now. I haven't seen it in years, but I've talked to it. Uh, I've talked to it. Yes, I I speak to Men in Black every day. I I call Men in Black too. I I put the 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 CD up to my ear and I I hear Frank. Frank the Pug. Yo, babe. You know, uh, Frank the Pug, interestingly voiced by the same voice actor that voices Johnny Five in Short Circuits One and Two. No, I don't. I don't talk to Men in Black Two, but I have talked about Men in Black Two to other people recently, and we're kind of in agreement. Like this is a super fun, like two thirds of a movie. Um, but uh, without further ado, if you've never seen Men in Black Two. You probably should before I get into this, because there will be spoilers. But if you've never seen Men in Black 1, you should definitely go back and watch Men in Black 1 to then watch Men in Black 2 to then listen to this. Um, I didn't check to see if they're streaming. You know what? I'm going to do that now. Keyboard, sounds, and all. And I'm going to use a website, right? Okay, uh, where are things streaming? Okay, let's try this one. This one's called Just Watch. So Men in Black came up, and Men in Black is available for rent on anywhere you would rent things. Uh, I don't think it's free anywhere, or, or included anywhere, I should say. Free is definitely, definitely uh, misleading. It doesn't include Netflix, but it may just not be there. Also, Men in Black 2, same thing. They're about $3. So, you can check those out there. Um, once again, I'm using JustWatch.com. I don't actually have a normal go-to uh, service for this. Every one that I try kind of gives me different results, and a lot of times they're wrong because I know that I saw a movie streaming you know, the other day when I was looking for something to watch, and it's not there on the website, but then I go back to the service and... And it is there, but I'm 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 in a rush, as noted by this getting released later. I um I realized that uh, yesterday was the sixth, and I'm getting a phone call. Please hold. So that was a phone call. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna watch it. Don't watch it. That's fine. You can listen to me talk about it if you vaguely remember the movie. I will go over uh some things. Um, 
but yeah, I don't I don't have any cool sounds or sound design or, or anything set up for this movie. This is pretty rushed. Um I'm actually I have my laptop next to me and I'm I'm doing work on that. It's it's a fun day right now. Uh so yeah. Stay tuned and uh we'll talk about Men in Black. That was that was me hitting spacebar, but the the window wasn't in focus. All right, so uh so I did it. I did it. I watched Men in Black 2. And it's um it's a little different, uh, maybe than I recall it. It feels a little different, a, a slight difference than how I saw it through rose-colored glasses. But very similar, I guess. Very, uh, very similar. And um, I, I guess where to start is maybe let's start with. Um, some overall feelings and, and, and maybe some overall themes. And I think to start there, we should start with the director. The director is Barry uh, Sonnenfeld. And Barry Sonnenfeld is, um, he's had a, a pretty a varied career, maybe. He, uh, he, he started out maybe as a director of photography for the Coen brothers, interestingly enough. And he was... He was DP on Blood Simple. He was DP on Raising Arizona. Um, he was DP on Miller's Crossing for them. Uh, then he was also DP on on Big, starring Tom Hanks, and DP on When Harry Met Sally, and DP on Misery. Um, Misery with, uh, I believe it was Scott Kahn, and, um, oh God, the actress that uh, that's also in Dolores Claiborne. I can't come up with her name. Uh, it'll, it'll probably hit me when I'm done recording this. That's a pretty pretty wild uh, start of a career right there because you're you're on a bunch of different types of things, but then he actually got uh he got directing with the Adams Family so he he directed Adams Family one and two, he directed Get Shorty, uh, Men in Black one and Wild Wild West which ouch, but fits in very much with this uh, Will Smith kind of slapstick, uh, young adult younger adult maybe comedy. So there's that, um, but he was also a producer on Pushing Daisies, which um, I haven't really seen, but I've heard is very unique. And he's also a producer on the current version of uh, The Tick on Amazon, which is delightfully like, uh, uh, what is it, uh, fantasy realism, kind of? It's very uh, alternate revisionist history. It's super fun. So I'd like to think that a producer role on that is a contributing role or at least a, a role of alignment and support. And this is kind of where we get Men in Black, well, you know, one, two, and three from kind of deal. And International. International is actually coming out soon, but I, I don't really know too, too much about it. Um, I know that it's starring uh, Tessa Thompson and Chris Hemsworth, and I'm super about that, like 110% after watching Thor Ragnarok. But uh, Barry Sonnenfeld is kind of a goofy, funny, funny type guy. Um, I remember a few years ago I saw the director commentary right for Men in Black Two, and he's there like really into all the jokes and the gags. Like uh, Frank was a big one for him, you know. You know, Frank say, "Hey, yo, babe," and stuff like that. Like it's it's super funny. But uh, he also he, he's the kind of guy that does cameos in his movies. 
and in Men in Black 2, he's the uh, the dad in the apartment that has like all of these you know random ass weapons hidden in the wall behind them. So he's just kind of there, kind of like blue is his actual like role. But that's fine. He he's he knows he's not an actor. He's a director, but he wants to be in his movie. His movie's funny. It's goofy. You know, it's 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 a good time. It's a good time. And then we have uh we have a couple of screenwriters on this. Uh, a few, I should say. We have uh, Lowell Cunningham is um credited as being one of the writers. He's also the writer of the Men in Black comic book. The creator of. I've never experienced the Men in Black comics. I have, uh, I do have some recollection of watching the Men in Black animated series, and I feel like that was more towards the comics. I've seen like a couple stills. Um, uh, Chris Osborne of Play Comics Podcast, I believe, did uh, a Play Comics with Men in Black. So there's that. But uh, from his, I believe, Instagram, the Play Comics Instagram, I saw some stills of the comic book, and I was like, oh, wow, that looks a lot more like the animated series than it feels like the movies, you know, so the movies are, are, are maybe a, a different uh, take holistically than the comic books versus the animated series, which is fine. I mean, I'm just stating the obvious, right? So Lowell Cunningham, one of the writers, um, I really don't know much else about him. I've never read the comics. That's where most of the information about him would come from, but I, I don't have that information. Uh, there's also uh, Robert Gordon, who is credited for, I believe, story and screenplay. And he also wrote the screenplay for Galaxy Quest. So this is probably your science fiction guy. The people who worked on Galaxy Quest, and Galaxy Quest is another wonderful movie that I, I don't know that I have, uh, but if I don't, I probably should, because it's super underrated and under the radar. Um, I think a lot of people didn't know what they were getting, even the studio themselves. Galaxy Quest was initially supposed to be rated R, and you can see, you can see Sigourney Weaver drop an F-bomb in the final sequence of the movie, and it's, like, completely ADR'd out like if it was on TV. Um, so anyone who wrote on Galaxy Quest should be very, 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 very acquainted with science fiction. So Robert Gordon, um, I feel, is probably their science fiction, their alien guy, right? And I'm, I, I feel like producers are like, oh, well, we need an alien guy. Let's get this Robert Gordon guy. He's this weirdo alien sci-fi guy. So I feel like that's where he came from. Maybe some of the heavy lifting on the screenplay might have gone to uh, Barry Fanaro. Now, Barry Fanaro is uh, a more prolific screenwriter. And he was a writer on, I now pronounce you Chuck and Larry. He was a writer on Kingpin, the Farrelly Brothers movie, which was pretty awesome. I mean, if memory serves. Um, he also did a rewrite of Analyze This, which Analyze This is great. And, uh, he was, I think, a, a creator writer, maybe, um, Secret Diary, Secret Diary of Desmond Pfeiffer. And the, the, the P is not silent. So this was like a UPN show of memory serves. And it was like, um, you know, Civil War era, like kind of politician dude, but he was also like, a like a perv i guess right because like the the memory i have and i didn't even go back and look this up because i don't want to i don't want to taint this memory that i have of, of being a kid and, and watching these promos where he's like in a hot tub and he's like a kmart abe lincoln you know big tall hat and uh beard skinny guy 
And there's all these um, chesty women uh, of, of various states of pr provocative dress around him. And he's like, the P isn't silent. I guess it's for penis, right? Because he fucks is really, the, I think, the thrust of those promos. And I feel like it was a really weird revisionist modern kind of backdoor update to, to things of that era. But it, it didn't land. And I, I've never seen it. Right. So I have this whole idea in my head of what that show is about, but I don't know what it's actually about. So the secret diaries of Desmond Pfeiffer. Right. But it was probably a, a joke a minute. And a lot of them were probably in poor taste, uh, just due to the time period that the show was set in. So there's that, uh, but Barry Fanero, maybe most notably was a writer, producer, two-time Emmy Award winner, WEJ, uh, WGA Award winner, and three-time Golden Globe winner for The Golden Girls. So that is hardcore, like, comedy clout. Once again, I was, I was a, a young kid, but I would watch The Golden Girls um, when I was home for the summer. And it was funny to me, and I didn't get, you know, maybe like 50% of the jokes but uh, just the the character actors and, and and things like that were so good that it, the the laughs got communicated to me. And then as I got a little older, I started understanding more. And then I got the internet and I started understanding even more, and it was just funnier. Um, but uh, good fun stuff. The Golden Girls, uh, they lived where I lived, so that was always cool. And uh, yeah, so these are the screenwriters for this movie. So a lot of comedy chops. So it makes sense. A lot of this movie makes sense when you look at it from this angle. It doesn't make it better or worse necessarily. It just makes sense. Like we understand it as humans. So there are a couple of uh couple of themes in here and um I don't think I really cracked them per se. I don't think I fully grasped, grasped them, and I can give you all these concrete uh, examples. Um, and a lot of them follow from Men in Black 1, right? Like uh, fitting in and community and, and being different. These are, are things that are uh, kind of examined through uh, Tommy Lee Jones' character of K in this movie because he uh, he goes back, he returns to civilian life at the end of part one spoiler um so it's he has trouble fitting in in his normal life and it's all because he essentially was denying or denied through um technical means like his natural drive and you know, because of that fact, he, they try to deneuralize him. They try to like bring his memories back and it really doesn't click until he steps outside and he sees, I guess the, um, the denizens, right. Of, of New York city, um, which they're like in, well, no, the pizza places in Soho. I don't know where Jeeves's, uh, place is located, but um, he had gone to like a very like a uh, rural life and stuff like that. And, 
and coming back and, and seeing, you know, the, the, the random person on the street or the, the two, uh, the twin bicycle light guys. I don't know if that's like a real thing in New York or what, but sometimes things in movies are like when I watched, um, Nick and Nora's infinite playlist and they go to Greg's papaya. I'm like, that's a fake restaurant. And it wasn't, and it closed. So I never got to go there, but yeah, that could be a real thing for all I know. But uh, just a general like night population, just being different, being weird, but still trying to live their lives. The mail carrier with the tail, uh, you know, the random ET thing that the homeless person or, or, or impoverished person has in their shopping cart. It's very interesting um, how he kind of feels like he fits into that community and how he is different in a way that they are similarly different in that he has this this knowledge of the, the world out there and things like that. So that's interesting, but it's very not examined, I guess, in the movie. It just kind of is. Um, and then there's the friendship, uh, companionship, and validation theme where after, 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 um, sounds like a He-Man villain. After K leaves Men in Black, Jay has, um gone through a line of partners that he has dismissed, I guess. Um, because I guess you have the authority to do that in Men in Black. And they never mesh, and they never... He never feels that companionship, that partnership. He's definitely not friends with them. Uh, I don't know that he could be necessarily friends with anyone, but at least with K and, and with Zed, it was there, sort of. And the Worm guys, you know? Um... But he never had that that friendship and that companionship, nor the the validation of of being recognized for your work and things like that that he had when when Kay was around and his life becomes increasingly lonely. And Laura, uh, who is Rosario Dawson's character, points that out. She says, "Wow, it must be lonely." And he's just like, yeah. And that's why he doesn't really neuralize her in the first place, because he feels seen for the first time in in a while, at least. I mean, definitely since he became a, a man in black, I guess. That would happen less and less. Because he used to be a, an NYPD cop, but kind of a showboat. But maybe he, he, he liked that attention, so he's getting none of that now. And then there's also duty uh, versus love, really, ultimately. And essentially the MacGuffin, the MacGuffin of this movie, comes from this conflict. And we see some of that later, but ultimately, uh, Kay hiding the light in the wake of Lorana's death was maybe a result of his apparent feelings for Lorana, or even the fact that perhaps the light is is the child of, of Kay and Lorana, for all we know. Um, the light is definitely Lorana's child. But, uh, you know, uh, Agent J asks at the end, like, did, did you two? You know, and there's a part uh, when they go to Newton's house, Newton's house, and instead of Newton, I, I don't know how to, Newton sounds a bit preposterous but newton when you're listening to a podcast is probably easier to say for me but crazier to listen to when you're listening to something audio only so when they go to newton's 
house and they're watching the uh the light is artha episode of um god i forgot what the show's called strange fucking fantasy or whatever the shit you know the twilight zone slash unsolved mystery type show hosted by uh uh peter graves right and uh that that's a good joke in and of itself but when when they're watching that he uh he goes into the night that serlina confronts lorana in pursuit of the light and it is a huge huge memory for him a, a part of him that he's kind of kept with him the whole time in fact he uh he has set up an elaborate kind of um process to handle that situation when it should come up again in 25 years so so there's that and then uh there's also jay being clearly in love with with laura vasquez which uh, to be fair i was too i think i think most people were um you know the character is just so wonderful and and you know and vibrant and and beautiful so you know there's that and ultimately it's his duty to you know we we learn that she is the light and it is his duty to get her away from him and he does it and he does it because the world will die or, or whatever the world will blow up why she would blow up this planet that she's lived on and she's clearly a good person is beyond me but apparently there's some type of self-destruct mechanism or some mcguffin mcguffin if you will some deus ex get the fuck out of here um that motivates this loss that we feel um and like i said having been feeling seen and validated especially in the wake of a, a grueling difficult service right as a essentially a public servant is a big deal emotionally i think for agent j so these are kind of all the places maybe that the movie goes maybe not all of them 110 percent, but you know i guess the main thrusts but none of them there's a lot of um i don't know any fencing words but there's a lot of poking at the other it's like three three against one and the three dudes all poke at the one that they're fighting against because they're fencing and they're dressed like i don't know like ghosts or, or mimes or whatever with the weird masks and suits every all, all three poke but they don't all poke in the same place and then the yeah, so they don't all hit. So I think that's that's where it is. That is a crazy explanation that I'm not going to go back over and edit. It is what it is. Um, but yeah, let's move on. So uh, the music is is really really good. It's really uh, on brand. In that uh, it's Danny Elfman. Danny Elfman is is very big, very playful, very energetic orchestration and. That's all there is to it. It just it is pure Danny Elfman, and it feels good. It feels right for the Men in Black universe, right? That is a poor rendition of that, but sure, that that's the music. I mean, Danny Elfman. Enough said. Sorry that this part gets quieter, but uh, my this is when my son uh, went to take his nap, so just naturally I I get quieter, not even realizing that I'm being so quiet. So, sorry, but it's still audible. And then we have the 
the makeup and the special effects. And this was, uh, I guess, directed by, I don't know if there's a, if the head of that department is a director. I don't know if that's how that works, but this was directed by Rick Baker. Rick Baker is super famous. Uh, I believe Rick Baker is the gentleman who made the uh, morph in American Werewolf in London, like the morph wolf head thing. And it shows like, a lot of the makeup, a lot of the special effects are super duper good. Uh, a couple of, of characters uh, in particular. Um, and there's obviously a lot of CG in this movie as well, which um, I don't really love, but, you know, whatever. It is what it is. It's these aliens. You got to do it. So Rick Baker, definitely, uh, if you're into makeup and special effects, Rick Baker, look into him. There is a lot of comedy in this movie, and obviously there is... Hmm... <sighs> I'm just gonna I'm just gonna do it in an order. I don't know that it's uh anything in particular. I'm just gonna do it in an order. And I'm gonna start with Will Smith. Will Smith is um he he's literally Will Smith. He is a brand of comedy that we we all know and, and generally love. That is why he is uh as big a star as he is. Right? So I definitely I definitely enjoy him in this movie, in, in the Men in Black universe. Right, because his kind of fish out of water uh, thing is is real fun. He's like a stand-in for us, so he plays Agent J, and you know, there's things. Uh, there's Rip Torn. Rip Torn is a uh, uh, Zed or Agent Z, Agent Zed. If you're Canadian, right? He's really fun. Uh, he definitely plays up his old guy, but like you know, his old guy uh, regal voice kind of thing a lot. Um, and one of my favorite lines of his was actually from, from Men in Black 1, where he's like, we're not hosting an intergalactic kegger. Like, that, that was just, that's indic that's illustrative and indicative of Rip Torn in that role. And it's, it's fun. It's a fun time. Johnny Knoxville actually surprises me in this role in that he, 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 he plays an idiot and an idiot's, um, second, I guess, symbiotic head. And he does them both, like, perfectly. And it's really fun. Uh, he has a, a couple of good gags, like uh, the third rock from the sun gag. And uh, it's interesting to see him kind of play off himself, if, if you will, because he has a, a second head, which is a separate entity that is attached to him. But that was fun. Uh, and then we have Rosario Dawson, who doesn't have a lot of good comedy moments, but she has a couple, um, you know, when she's talking to Agent J and stuff like that. But she's super funny but i mean she's a also a very uh serious actor so not known for her comedy roles exactly but you know she's got the chops she can do it look at a uh, clerk's too clerk's too was great she was hilarious and then we have um david cross and uh i'm gonna butcher her name column column uh jackson durstein who are, are newton and Haley. Newton and Haley, who work at Tapeworm, or own Tapeworm, are the purveyors of Tapeworm, proprietors, proprietors of Tapeworm, where the videotape is. And they're just this weird, random, like, odd, strange couple slash co-work, employee-employer dynamic, and, uh, uh, Colum herself, um, 
of Mighty Ducks fame, right? She has the strangest, like, her character is the weirdest and has the weirdest reactions to things. Like, when she gets neuralized, she just stays deadpan the whole time. Even when it ostensibly wears off, it's the same expression. It's super weird and super funny. She's mega unhelpful as the the clerk at the video store. It's it's wonderful. Laura Flynn Boyle has uh, just a couple of uh, of good moments. Most of her gags are are visual or physical. Like she's always eating, and uh, she's there like chowing down on like a quadruple whopper. And she's like, "Yeah, I'm here on Earth to learn to be a Victoria's Secret model because that's where Serlina the alien who she plays." Like got the the visage essentially of Laura Flynn Boyle dressed in lingerie the whole time. So that was that was a funny gag. Uh, Patrick Warburton, who was the original live action Tick, hilarious, super funny. Just his his voice, his delivery. You know, he's like, uh, <laughs> when he's when he gets the noise, he's just like, okay. Okay. And uh, when he's like rousting Jeff and he's kicking Jeff and it's like, come on, worm. It's funny. I can't even do his voice. I can't, I can't impersonate his delivery. It's so unique. Um, we also have Tony Shalhoub, you know, Tony Shalhoub, when they walk into Jeeves, he's like, did you check out that drop top thing outside my, outside my business is banging dog. Like his, uh, his urban vernacular as, as. Jeeves, Jeeves, who's like a fucking alien, who's like crazy looking. His makeup was so good, and Tony Shalhoub, I think, maybe is probably the actor that most inhabits their crazy alien character, because at no part do I feel like that's Tony Shalhoub in makeup at all whatsoever. I feel like, I feel like that's more honest than Tony Shalhoub is as a person, hilariously enough, and that maybe that's just me. But I find it super funny and mega convincing. So there was uh, also Frank. Frank has a Frank is a one-liner factory, right? He's voiced by uh, Tim Blaney, also the voice of Johnny Five, as I mentioned before. And he has a bunch of good one-liners. He has one good gag when he gets out of the diner and he's listening to "Who Let the Dogs Out" on the radio, because "Who Let the Dogs Out" was a big thing. Baja Men, two thousand one, you know that kind of era, right? So. It was um, it was definitely a joke for the time, but it was a very good one. Uh, I'm I'm pretty sure I laughed very hard the first time I saw it. And then we have Peter Graves. Peter Graves is the host of the fucking mystery show. I don't remember. Um, you know, he also starts out the movie, right? He intros the movie um, from that episode, I believe. That's why we don't see it again. That's why we go into uh, Kay's memory of it. But he was the he was a fucking captain in airplane exclamation mark. So he has full one hundred and ten percent all the way wide open slapstick chops, and he was on uh, Biography, which was like a serious show, and he was like the host. So he was doing kind of like host things. He was also on Mission Impossible, and he was also the host in uh, Adam's Family Values. So I think this. Uh, character that Peter Graves has chosen to uh, play or, or, you know, maybe that they wrote for was was himself just slapstick, like just more, more Peter Graves than actual Peter Graves. And I think that's why it works so wonderfully well. And his, his voice is wonderful. 
and his uh you know his delivery his visage even you know and there's a bunch of other uh random characters uh in, in the movie Martha Stewart shows up a couple times um Bismarcky notably in the post office and the the we'll get into the post office and and we'll get into the the fight at Jeeves with uh dog poop Peniel eye and 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 Balchinian <laughs> Balchinian we'll get into that in a minute because there's 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 actually a ton of of random gags. There's there's more gags than I could count in this movie. And it starts out right at the beginning. We're seeing the spaceship flying uh, through the solar system and stuff like that, and it looks huge. And it like crash lands very similar to the the end of the the climax of Men in Black One, and it's tiny. And there's a dog, and the dog like barks at the thing that comes out of it, and the thing barks at the dog. The dog one, runs away. Um, but like the Jeff gag, that little flower, sunflower kind of growing up through the sewer grate, that's super, super good. Um, cause he's this fucking 600 foot worm, you know? And then Zed's like, I remember Jeff when he was yay high and Jeff, you know, indicates like a few inches, you know? So, or Zed indicates a few inches. So, you know, Jeff's been eating good as, as Will Smith puts it. And he's like, boy, what you been eating? Interestingly enough, the post office is... Everything in the post office is great. Uh, just Tommy Lee Jones is great. The little girl in the post office that comes up looking for stamps, $20 in stamps. And I don't remember if they were like new kids on the block stamps or what. I, for, I forget now. But she is dressed uh, and, and wardrobed, I guess would be the word for it. A lot like the little girl that uh, Jay shoots in the you know, cardboard pop-up simulation in Men in Black 1, right? Which, that that's a, an amazing gag because all these military dudes, like, put holes in, like, all the aliens and stuff like that. And and Jay's like, no, man, that dude just, just trying to do pull-ups, just trying to get, get swole or whatever, you know? And this little girl wandered around an alley at night with um, theoretical physics books. Like, she up to something. And it's things like that that, that get me. I, I feel like that was a genuine callback. Like, what is a little girl looking for uh, with $20 worth of stamps? You know, so I'd like to think that that was a callback that just was way under the radar. It may not be, and I may be 110% wrong, but I'll think what I think. The beatboxing, how he communicates to the alien, the alien is Bismarcky, and, and then he does the beat from uh, from Fresh Prince that he sings for, for uh, I think, his, his younger cousin or whatever. And and everybody's an alien. They're like, okay, cool. And they start like revealing themselves, right? And then the one dude takes off his wig and his face and all that stuff. And Bismarcky is just Bismarcky. Like he's not an alien. That's just him, <laughs> you know? And then the fucking, the sorting thing opens up. And it's the guy with the cigarette and the 100 hands listening to uh, Speed Demon, right? As I was like, is that a Racer X song? You know, it's such a stereotype that it sounds like a parody. But Racer X's would probably just make a better song. I know it's Dio. Sorry. My apologies. That archetype, you know, Dio's I Speed at Night is maybe just a, a better uh, archetype so you, you instantiate them. Like a better instantiation, a better personalization, a better characterization maybe of that archetype of driving fast metal. Um, but fucking... Jay tells him just about everybody that works at the post office is an alien. Like, holy shit, I would 
I would say the same thing about bowling alleys. Um, I worked at a bowling alley when I first started college, and it felt like everybody was a fucking alien there. It was so weird. So that was just the post office was a great, great gag. Um, the auto driver for the Mercedes, you know, uh, it came with a black guy, but he kept getting pulled over is a hilarious joke that kind of addresses maybe the, it, the movie took some forays into earth race, race relations, but that was, a, that was a, a fucking great joke. And Tommy Lee Jones is like, yeah, you know, makes sense. Cause <laughs> he's just like, fucking yeah, cops are racist. But they don't like they don't like sit in that moment. They just go, and they don't sit in many moments. There's there's so many gags, uh, right? And then there's the callback to the driver uh, twice actually when they're trying to escape Serlina and the the navigational star, the the fucking six axis, uh, the dual shock like PlayStation Two controller comes out, and the driver comes out and he's sitting on Jay. And then uh, when they ditch him again, and the driver just pops out automatically, and is sitting on Will Smith. And just everybody's just like, ugh. You know, th th those were good callbacks. I think um, they don't have the replay value. I didn't, I didn't feel as good about them this time as I did maybe the first few times that I saw them. But uh, they felt pretty good. Um, I liked the flush in MIB headquarters because the reveal there is that the room that they're in is actually a toilet bowl. And then when they go to Jeeves. Um, the set dressing of Jeeves's denuralizer is hilarious. Jeeves himself is hilarious, but he's got this like uh seafoam green iMac and like a, a tiny Honda, like boat motor, like point fucking one HP, like one horse, one tenth of a horsepower kind of thing. It's just random crap. It's so fun. Um, that fucking green iMac killed me. I'm like, where's the floppy drive? Fucking wow. Yeah, just a lot of um a lot of emotional baggage there. So then, you know, like the the, the goons show up and all the goons have a gag. <laughs> like uh Pineal's like Please lower your weapon. <laughs> and Jay's like, no. She killed me. And then uh when the dude starts laughing <laughs> And then he's like, You look like crap. And then you hear <laughs> And he's like, I take that back. He looked like crap. That alien's name is dog poop. <laughs> so that joke kills me every time. And the one that destroys me, even now to this day, when I think about it, I'll I'll be at work working on something and then in my head I'll just hear Will Smith say okay he's a Balchinian and this comes after trying to kick a huge alien with a like a fucking crip blue like rag on his face twice in the nuts and just getting like metal sounds and he pulls down the rag and he sees like literally a set of testicles on the guy's chin okay he's a Balchinian this is the dumb shit that I like about this movie. He's a ball chinning. And he, he does a stupid wire kick, which is awful. And, and they know it's awful, but they're just like, well, he's got to kick him. I already tried to kick him twice. He could have done anything to him. He could have punched him, karate chopped him, anything. He had to kick him. But fucking ball chinning gets me every time.
every time. I don't care what anybody says. Balchinian is the best gag in this movie. The best gag in many movies. Balchinian. You know, and then we also get Old and Busted New Hotness. That's a great meme that I use all the time. You know, with the DualShock controller. And that is not the navigational star. You know, like his butthole, I would assume. Uh, you know, we get some fun stuff between Zed and Serlina. Serlina says, you know, Zed, you look at you 25 years and you're still a looker. And Zed's just like, cut out meat and dairy. And look at you, you're still a, a pile of squirmy crap in a different wrapper, you know? But that cut out meat and dairy thing is super funny. Um, the worm guys didn't feel too good. Uh, the short apartment gag was, was fun because everybody's standing really weird. And when they do things like look at each other and have reaction shots, it's just all the more because the, the roof is, the ceiling is so short. Um, but the worm guys are super crass and apparently like one is working out on a Bowflex, which is funny, but also one is a rapist or they all are. So that's weird. Um, and the locker guys, obviously the locker gag is, the locker gag is maybe the one that thematically gets the, the big callback at the end. And, you know, the commandments, be kind, rewind, uh, two for one Wednesday and adult section in the back. That's just, that's super funny. And, you know, and again, the whole, uh, tapeworm Newton and, uh, Haley, jeez, I already forgot her name. Yeah. Newton and Haley, uh, scene. Like, that's a good time. So there's just a bunch of random gags in this movie. Um, the only thing is that I think that generally it falls short of Men in Black 1. I feel like Men in Black 1 was very uh, purposeful all the way through. And this movie kind of slows down a lot once they go back into... Men of Black Headquarters, which is, you know, roughly like two-thirds of the way there. Uh, a lot of the comedy in this movie comes from caving the fish out of water versus Jay. And the deadpan performance by Tommy Lee Jones is pretty fucking great. Um, but, like, in my mind, a lot of the things that I had remembered really, really loving were, were kind of me in my head combining... Uh, Men in Black 1 and 2, and literally making uh, new scenes out of parts of scenes from both movies, which is insane, but I still feel like there's either deleted scenes that are added in like TV cuts or, or whatever the case is, because I, I, I strongly feel like there's some shit missing. Like, I, I strongly feel that there's a scene with uh, Patrick Warburton that I, I super remember on TV of Jeff like kicking his ass and I didn't see it this time around. So it's one of those things where, like I said, I remembered yesterday that I needed to do this today. So I'm doing it today to release today. So I didn't have the full time to go through everything, 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 but I still get that feeling, but that could just be me thinking of Will Smith in part one, getting his ass kicked in the background in several scenes. You know, but uh, Men in Black 1 also had uh, Will Smith being the fish out of water pretty much the whole movie, which was fun because his brand of comedy is to be, I don't know, uh, observational in a novel way, perhaps. Um, so, yeah, I think Men in Black 1 had just had, had better pretense, I think. The MacGuffin was even less validated 
in Men in Black 2. It's uh, the light is going to explode just because. And the because is we need a clock on this movie. We had a clock on the first one and it worked. So, you know, there's also things like when Kay gets his memory back or whatever, you kind of reset Will Smith to movie one Will Smith, even though we've seen that he's a very capable agent. He's still very slapstick in his way, very messy, very random. Um, but it feels like we invalidated everything and just went backwards. And, you know, maybe the story could have gotten bigger, right, to accommodate the two badass agents. But, uh, you know, it, it, that kind of ends up happening when they get back into Men in Black headquarters, and it, it doesn't land. And they spend a lot of CG money on that, like a ton. Just like Sorlina wrapping up this dude and... uh what was it, Jarvis or whatever, the flying head dude who, who sucked. Um, and the plot was generally looser, too. Like, you could really nitpick on, like, how do they know this? And why would somebody do that? And, like, these are what internet movie critic trolls would be like, oh, the plot holes you could drive a truck through. But maybe there are a couple where it's like it's not obvious how somebody figured this or that out. So there's that. Um, but probably those things came out in the edit because we're not watching Men in Black as a procedural as much as this one kind of is. Um, which, by the way, the Men in Black one as a procedural was fun because uh, Agent L was actually like a, a medical examiner. That's the word. So... I think that's a cool parallel. This one doesn't have that parallel. The The Light of Zartha is played by Rosario Dawson, and she's a, a lovely young lady that works in a pizza shop with, I guess, her adopted father, right? Or whatever. So it's not the same. I mean, nor could it have been. You, you When you're part two, you were kind of better or worse. You're not the same. You know, the, the road warrior is not Mad Max, again, they don't kill his family again. I mean, it's a different thing. The Godfather Part 2 is not the Godfather again. Michael is already the Godfather in The Godfather Part 2. Spoilers, go watch The Godfather if you haven't. Jesus. Um, you know, an Empire, the Empire wins. You know, today you blow them up, tomorrow they blow you up. Or whatever Benicio Del Toro says in The Last Jedi. That. So this could never be Men in Black 1 again. And it's a different movie, but I think it's a... I think it's a slightly less enjoyable movie. And I genuinely do really, really, really love Men in Black 1. Um, I feel like the villain played by Vincent D'Onofrio had way better screen time than Serlina and was a lot less CG, and maybe that helped too. Um, Laura Flynn Boyle, I know, had uh, has had some comedy moments. Uh, Wayne's World is a huge one for me, but her comedy was was also very slapstick and more physical than than anything. Uh, so, you know, I don't know that the same opportunities were there, which is once again fine. I'm trying to I'm trying to rationalize this some way. I think I'm doing a bad job, so I'm gonna I'm gonna quit it here. I'm going to stop here. But uh, once again, you can always reach me on Twitter at CoolMarkD, Cool with a C, and Mark with a K. Uh, 
I didn't do my intro. Hi, I'm Mark, IT guy, dad, and generally bad movie nerd. And today we're going to be watching Men in Black 2, uh, I guess. So I didn't do that at the beginning. I did it now. It counts, right? And my Twitter, if, if you look at it, it's, there's going to be a lot of stuff because it's just that's me as a person. I don't have like a podcast Twitter for Mark's movie collection. I should, but I don't, right? Because I'm dumb. Or, or maybe I'm not dumb, but maybe I fully acknowledge that I'm not going to go out engaging people as not myself. Maybe that's the, the, the reasoning. I don't know. But I should definitely make a Twitter for that. But yeah, let me know what you thought. Get at me. You know, I'd love to have a discussion about this movie, about any of the other movies that we've talked about. Um, I do have some movies planned. I had this whole season planned, and I kind of scrapped that plan. Because as I looked at it again, I was like, I don't want to do these movies right now. I had made that plan some months ago, and that was fun. But I have some other stuff going on right now that I want to do, so I'm going to do those. And because I want to do them is why I'm doing them. Uh, Men in Black 2 I did want to do, but not this episode, but because of necessity, it is now this episode. This being uh, the first episode, episode 1 of season 2. So this is the season opener, and it is uh, maybe low on the effort level college right the bare minimum but uh, it's super fun it's a fun movie I, I once again think Men in Black 1 is more fun but uh yep this has been it Men in Black Mark Mark in Black back in black well I'm back uh, I was gonna do an Angus Young there is Angus Young the guitar player or the... I was going to do an ACDC there. I think Angus Young plays guitar, doesn't sing. I was going to do an ACDC there, but uh, my kid is asleep right above me, and I don't want to yell. So, this is a nap time podcast. That's how legit it is right now. The struggle is real. Uh, but yeah, see you guys. Uh, enjoy the movies. Enjoy going to the movies. I still haven't seen Captain Marvel. I am dying uh infinity war comes out soon and i really enjoy the whole mcu and the whole theory of the mcu i'm wearing my captain marvel nine inch nail shirt right now and i still haven't seen it and i hope to see it but i may not so no spoilers please good night